You don't need to turn anywhere else in your Bibles because we are going to be picking up in verse 11. We started a brand new series and it's the gifts in the body. You may say, well, how come we're not to the gifts yet? Well, because we got to talk about the body. That's the reason why. The body of Christ is special. The body of Christ is unique. What we saw last week is it's because of the Jews' rejection of their promised king that this blessing has poured over onto a new people, the church. Now what's amazing about that is we're told this promise to Israel, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. That's a very pivotal statement. Because an entire nation, having firsthand witnessed miracles and healings and raising from the dead and casting out of demons, an immediate wellness from sickness, the lame made to walk, the blind can see. Incredible teaching that when they tried to corner him and pin him down, he simply refuted him by his responses. I don't know about you, but Jesus is cool. You know, he wasn't cool in his day. But he stood out as so unique. He stood out as a diamond. And because he was so threatening to people of power and influence, they took matters into their own hands and they condemned him and they killed him. Now, God is not done with Israel. That's important. But dealing with that is not necessarily in the scope of what our study is right now. If you want to know more about that, read Romans 10 and 11. It'll unfold it perfectly for you. He is not done with them. And after the church is removed from the earth, they will come back to the forefront and will be used by him in incredible ways. But God decided to do something brand new if for no other reason to drive the Jews to jealousy because we are recipients of his grace and we are demonstrating works and fruits of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is residing in us. Now, Old Testament and Gospels, that's incredibly foreign because we don't see until the Gospels the only person that the Holy Spirit is indwelling is Jesus Christ himself because the works that he did were the works by the Holy Spirit. This is what made the unpardonable sin so heinous. But what's incredible in this moment with the church, the Holy Spirit indwells you and me. And that means that God has carved out an area to do something incredible during our time. We are a privileged, privileged people. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in 11 because we just saw that we're saved by grace. We just saw that it's by faith we respond to the gospel, that it's not of ourselves, so we don't have no bragging rights in the situation. It's all of God. But God has also saved us unto a corporate, and I hate using that word because it sounds so business, but to a whole, or a holistic, let's say it that way, mission. And that is the good works that he's carved out. He wants his masterpiece to shine and to demonstrate 
his grace and his love and his glory and the spirit, the works of the spirit for others to see as a testimony to the world. Now you might say, well, I'm a little scared of the spirit. That's okay. That probably has more to do with your denominational upbringing than it does the scriptures. I promise you that. And I don't say that to downplay it, but there's a lot of recorrecting that the scriptures can do to bring us more in alignment with what God wants to do and to encourage us to trust the leading of the Spirit in a lot of situations. Because if not, the only thing that we have left is the flesh. And the flesh can't do anything to please God. It's impossible. So now, Paul wants to unfold what this grace looks like for you and for me. It was displayed for the Jews in a certain way with the coming king announcing his kingdom, and it was rejected. What about us? Look at verse 11. And by the way, I did all my work today on two pieces of paper. So if you're like, how come he's not using his Bible? It's right here, okay? I promise. Don't want anybody to think I've gone off the rails. Verse 11. These two verses, we were once an estranged people. Maybe if you want to look at that. We were once estranged. It says here, therefore... Remember that formerly, you the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, that's a downer verse to start on, isn't it? But notice what he says. He's direct. He's writing to a church. And real quick, if you do research on the church of Ephesus, you find out that the name Ephesus was probably written in later because Paul wrote a general letter of which he passed around to various churches in that region. And when they received it, they made a copy of it down. No fax machines or copy machines back then. So they're handwriting everything down. And they would just put their church's name in there to the saints at Grace Bible Church in Portage. Grace and peace be to you. That'd be kind of cool if we were in the Bible, right? But we are. When he's talking we and he's talking to the church at large, that's us. So when it talks about Ephesus, they put their name in there because the truth that's being expounded is not in detail pertaining only to you type of thing, nobody else. It's general church, absolute truth of every believer in Christ because we're all in the body of Christ. And so he wants to turn the focus to whatever church he's going to, to the Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew by birth. And he says here, remember, think back to the past. Formerly, you the Gentiles in the flesh, in other words, your ethnic worldly separation from the Jews, who are called uncircumcision, that's a pejorative term, by the so-called circumcision. Real quick, does everybody see that Paul has a spiritual gift of sarcasm here in the text? See, people downplay sarcasm. That's not very biblical. (laughs) Right? Some of you are marking this down. This was the gold that you found today, right? Paul's sarcastic. It's great. But notice, you're called the uncircumcision, as a a demeaning term, by the so-called circumcision, the Jews who think that all of their righteousness is actually found in the flesh and in the body. It counts to nothing. But notice he says here, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, not in the spirit, in God's hands. That's not what happens. But look what it says here, verse 12. Remember that you were, formerly, at that time. So we're probably talking Old Testament range. And remember this. It's important that we go slow here. At that time, everybody was a Gentile up until Genesis 12. Everybody. 
But when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, which we probably know more familiar as Babylon or today Iraq, called him out of there from worshiping pagan gods and said, go to a place that I'm going to show you. He immediately started a brand new group of people out of the masses because he's going to reach the world in a different way. Before that, he had been working with the world at large and the world was constantly rejecting him. The Tower of Babel is a great illustration of defiance and rebellion and idolatry of saying, God, we don't care what you say. We're going to do what we want to do because that's what we want to do. Pride. And so God says, fine, we're going to call a timeout on everybody and we're going to pull back and I'm going to take one person and I'm going to do something with this one person like you've never seen before. Abram, get up, go. So from Genesis 12, when this call happened, all the way up until these times that he's writing at the church, probably around 50 or 60 AD we're dealing with, or when the Gentiles came into the church, Formally, what happened to us is we were, look at what it says here. Number one, separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. Anybody know what the concept of being separate or separation is usually described as? Death. Now that makes sense because back in chapter 2 of verse 1 of Ephesians, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What is dead? Didn't mean you didn't exist. It doesn't mean you didn't breathe or you couldn't think. It means that you were separated from the God who made you. Now remember, Gentiles, you were at one time separated from Christ. You had no Savior. That doesn't sound fun. How about number two? It says you were excluded from the commonwealth of Kentucky, uh, Israel. <laughs> Sorry, my notes say something different. Hey, God's people, I don't know. <clears throat> excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Excluded. Anybody like to be excluded? Some of your translations say alienated. You didn't have any belonging. You had no citizenship. You had no one to join with and say, yes, I'm a part of that. Have you noticed that everybody's searching for identity, who they are? Usually we're identified by our work. We often find that the things that we do, the things that we're involved in, our hobbies, right? Well, we know her. She's the scrapbook lady, right? We don't know her name, but we know her by what she does kind of thing. Well, we know him. He's the wood chopper. I don't know. But anyway, we get into things about what do we do, and all of a sudden that makes up who we are, and that's what we're known for. If I didn't know who Art was and have some sort of friendship with him, I'd know that he's the electrician guy, because that's what he does. He comes in and he deals with wires and stuff, and I'm like, I wouldn't touch that. He's like, whatever, you know? (laughs) He's like a wizard, and he does things I could never do, but that's how I would identify him. Imagine having no identity. It's almost like an entire group of people who had a complete amnesia. Who do you belong to? I don't know. Well, what are you going for? I don't know. Well, what's your future got? I don't know. Nothing. We Gentiles at one time had nothing. No belonging. None. Look at the third thing. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, strangers we can deal with because we want to reach out and love strangers, correct? But here's the problem. Strangers in a particular manner. No covenants of promise. Another word for covenant is, do we know? Deuteronomy people? Contract. 
We had no sure, solidified, and ratified agreement of things that were guaranteed to happen. That's what a promise is. In other words, God hadn't spoken to the Gentiles in such a way as to say, undoubtedly, I'm going to take care of this. What did we miss out on? Well, the Abrahamic promise. That covenant's pretty important. Get up, go from a lamb. Go to the one I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a lamb. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shores. And through you is going to come a blessing to all the world. You are going to bless the entire world. And we know that as being Jesus. Guess what? That's the only part of that promise we're included in. We're going to receive blessing in some way, but it's not directed towards us. It's directed towards Abram. How about the Davidic covenant? We didn't have that. What's that? That's the promise to take the royal line of David and prolong it into, past the tribulation, into the millennium to make sure that David's eventual offspring will sit physically on a throne and rule the whole world with a kingdom not made with hands that will come in and crush every kingdom that we try to set up on earth. I wish I was in on that promise a little bit more. That's good. Now we get to enjoy that because of the Jews' rejection. We're going to have inclusion in the kingdom. In fact, if we're faithful, we're going to rule and reign alongside him in that coming kingdom. So that's beautiful how it spilled over. But formally, we didn't have that. The Jews had that, not us. Another one I think about is the new covenant. The new covenant is when God is going to get in the midst of Israel and Judea, or we might say the entire people of Israel, And he's going to change them and no one will need to teach them any longer because they will know all these things and because Christ will be there present in their midst. Thank God that we have an inkling in on that somewhat. Not that it was promised to us, but we get to see Jesus too. But there was a time we didn't have that. You know what that means? We had no assurance because we had no promise from God. Somebody sent me a text yesterday. They said, when you disciple somebody, where do you start? What's the beginning? So if they're a believer in Christ, you start with assurance of salvation. Why? Because if they don't recognize that they have eternal life based on nothing that they've done and all the promise of God, you cannot grow if you're not sure. Have you ever hung out with your parents and you're not for sure what kind of mood they're in? You ever done that? And how do you get? You're kind of like, right? Hey, mom, how's dad doing today? Did he have to work on the car? You know, you're wondering, are they set off? Or, I'm going to go there, because we talked a little bit about this this morning. You talk to a lady and you say, hey, how you doing? She goes, I'm fine. Number one, girls, you ain't fooling nobody, (laughs) except for new husbands. And they're getting ready to experience the wrath. But rest assured, women, we know. Us seasoned husbands, we understand. How are you doing? I'm fine. Right? We're out. Amen. I got stuff to do in the garage. I'll be back Tuesday, right? We know. No assurance that things are going to go well. If you don't have assurance, you can't walk forward successfully because there's no confidence. And when we take a simple verse like John 3.16, God loves the world, God gave his son, you believe in him, you won't perish, but you have eternal life. Man, that's confidence. That's forever. 
That's always, that can never be taken from me regardless of what a scoundrel I am. Because I did nothing to earn it, it's all freely given. Well, think about that concept. At one time, we as a people had no assurance, no confidence, no promises, no hope. In fact, that's number four. Having no hope, which is obviously hopeless, and notice what it says here, and without God in the world. You didn't even have God. He created you, but you had no togetherness with him. It was absent from your existence. We were a people who had no chance. Now, I like that Paul does this, and here's the reason why. is because when you look back for the believer in Christ, it's like dropping one of those satin, those black satin cloths. You ever had the jewelers that reel you in with that? Right? And he wants to put the diamond out there, and so what does he do? He puts a dark cloth underneath it to show you just how brightly it shines. Our former state is often the backdrop for grace. He wants us to understand how exceeding grace is. And so he says, you know what? This is who you once were. And where you are now had nothing to do with you. In fact, this next part gets us. Verses 13 through 16. Here's God's remedy for us. But now, I love those words. Because it tells me bad direction, bad direction. Those verses weren't very fun. 11 and 12. But now... Let's turn around and go in a good direction now. But now, presently, in Christ Jesus. Okay, everybody lick your fingers. Because it's good like barbecue sauce. In Christ Jesus, your brand new location, where you now are because of nothing you've done on your own, God in his grace has put you there in a means of acceptance because of his son. In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's interesting to me that wherever the Jews encamped in the promised land, wherever they were in the wilderness, there were always Gentiles just outside of the camp. And in fact, when he brought them into the land, he told them, You keep my statutes and my ordinances and my commands because you are going to radiate a lifestyle that is spirit-led in such a way as to where the surrounding nations are going to say, what in the world is going on with you? We've never seen a God that is as righteous as you. We've never understood precepts for living that are so incredible like this. And the darkened pagan world was going to take note of the bright, shining little Israel sitting out there. Think about that. Gentiles were always around, but now we've been brought near. How did we get there? What's it say? The what? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is your car to get you there. See, it's not just transforming, it's transportive. It actually took me somewhere. And where did it take me? In Christ. I was formerly in a standing without Christ, no hope, no covenants. Ah, what a terrible life. And now it's put me in a place of saying, I love you, my child. You ever stop to think you're a child of God? Of God. You know, creator of everything. 
the one who keeps the earth in perfect balance to where it doesn't tip one degree closer to the sun or one degree further away, otherwise we burn or freeze, that guy? How incredible is that, that he calls me his child? What did that? The blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the power of God to bring us in near proximity with him. And not just in nearness, not just transporting us there, but into full acceptance with him. Man, that's cool. That's good. It says here, verse 14, for, here's an explanation. Gosh, I love this verse. He himself is our what? Are you excited about that? Because I'm not hearing it. It sounds like you got disappointed at the Dollar Tree. Let me read it again. <laughs> For he himself is our what? Peace. peace. You say, well, I don't have peace. Yes, you do. In fact, you have it in abundance and in fullness. We may not be drawing off of it, but notice that peace isn't a concept. It's not a feeling. It's not an aura. It's not the smell that comes from the incense you're burning all throughout the house. They don't make in essential oils that says peace like this. Peace is a person. We know him, right? Prince of peace. We know it's Jesus. In fact, very interesting little nerdy Greek thing here. Everybody see the word peace? If you were to read this in the Greek, it would actually say, he himself is our the peace. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? But anytime you take the, which is a definite article, and you put it in front of a predicate like this, it actually makes that predicate and the subject, which is he himself, Christ, Christ Jesus, interchangeable. It actually does kind of like this. When you talk about peace, you're talking about Christ. When you talk about Christ, you're talking about peace because he is peace and peace is Christ, and they go together just like that. That's what's amazing. Now, Pastor Steve's not here, but I think he'd be proud of me right now. But think about it. Christ is our peace. Our peace is a person. And how do we have that person? We have that person fully. In fact, we don't just have that person fully. We're in that person. And that person is the means by which we've been accepted before a holy God. That means at any time that distress comes, remember this verse. Meditate on it now. Why? Because peace is there. Waiting to be drawn off of. Waiting for us to plug ourselves into it and fully embrace what he's already freely given us. How many of us need more peace in our life? Yes. Because life will hurt you. It wants to hurt you. But he is our peace. So notice. But now in Christ Jesus, we were formerly far off. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. And here's what he did. He made both groups into one, Jew and Gentile. He took the two and he did this. Two into one. A cohesive whole. So there's no longer the issue of Jew and Gentile. There's the church. It says here, he brought us into one. We're unified. And he broke down, I like that because it's destructive, the barrier of the dividing wall. There was a hindrance that kept us from getting with them and them from getting with us. There was a barrier there. It's almost like when you got a magnetic field, you try to put both of the same ones together, and there's like a, and they always want to go to the side, don't they? There's something that's keeping us from getting it together. What is that? Look what he says, verse 15. By abolishing, this is the big thing he did, in his flesh, and right there, there's the cross when he died. 
the enmity, the hostility, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Uh Uh-oh. What did Paul just say? It said that the law was the barrier that kept Jews and Gentiles from getting together. Not because the law was bad, but because both sides are bad. Because we could never keep it. Because it was meant to be a schoolmaster that led us to grace. And so what he's recognizing is the law is good. The ability to keep it is not. We got to get rid of the law because God wants to be with people. And so he sends his son to die on the cross. And the cross isn't just the altar of sacrifice, but it's the hammer that obliterates the law and brings us together with them totally unified and whole. Now, does that mean that the church is Israel? No. We're talking out of their Junus into a brand new thing. We're talking out of our paganness into a brand new thing. So he abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, which is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Here's the reason. So that in himself, there it is, in Christ's truth, a brand new location, he might make the two into market. One new man, thus establishing peace. See, not only is he peace, but he also establishes peace by getting rid of the law and able to bring Jew and Gentile harmoniously together in one brand new thing. And he calls it, it's almost like having a brand new person. It's called the church. Now, this brings up a little question that might be in the back of your mind. Well, what part of the Ten Commandments do we have to keep as the church? None. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law has no bearing on you. In fact, let me say this. The law wasn't given to you and I. I mean, if you remember, we were a people without covenants of promise, right? That even means conditional covenants like the Mosaic law. We didn't have that. What does the law do? The law lets me know I'm a sinner and need a savior. That's what it does. It shows me the perfection of God. It's a mirror for me to look at myself and then for me to go, I need something. I need something. Christ fills that. So not only is he our peace, but through the cross, he destroys the law and he administers peace in this one new man. Not only does he abolish the law, but look at the second part here. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Now watch this. By it having put to death, sorry, by it, by it, forgive me, I don't know how to talk, by it having put to death the enmity. Now this isn't the enmity that was previously dealing with the law. That's some of the friction that goes on and Jesus deals with that in the cross. But that had to do with the abolishing of the law. This turns to the idea of reconciliation. And reconciliation has to do with my relationship or lack thereof of God. Now, we talked about this before. The idea that the word reconcile is used is the idea that I should have been in this relationship in the first place. I should have started out with God. I mean, think about it. Didn't Adam start out with God? Man, it was great. And then somebody came along and questioned his word. And now there's a separation. And so this reconciliation that happens is the relationship we always should have been in anyway. It reconciles us. So whatever enmity we had, hostility between God, and it was us hostile towards him, it wasn't him hostile towards us. 
It was us hostile towards him. We still see glimpses of that. You ever been going through a hard time? Somebody tried to give you biblical advice? What do you do? You say, man, thank you. I needed that. And you humble yourself and you go, gosh, Lord, I was so wrong. Or do you go, and we can hear your teeth like grinding together. I'm going to guess option B is a lot of it. But a lot of times that's even as Christians how we respond to the truth when it comes before us. Notice here we've been reconciled. Whatever friction we had with God, gone, and he takes us and he melds us together perfectly and permanently. Now verses 17 and 18, here's God's mission. And he came and he preached what? Peace! I love it! Jesus is our peace. Jesus administers the peace in the one new man. And guess what? He's also going to preach some peace. Preach some peace. Do you think everybody outside these walls needs peace right now? Does this seem like a peaceful place to live in? No. And so we see what they need and we recognize that somebody's already given it perfectly. And guess what? The gap is bridged in one way and one way only. Look what it says. And he came and preached. I don't make apologies for that. It means proclaiming glad tidings to someone. He preached peace to you who were far away. And so when they heard that gospel message and they believed, the blood of Christ jettisoned them into an equal standing with the Jew in this brand new thing called the church. And notice, and peace to those who were near. Why? Because they didn't automatically become Christians just because they were ethnically born from Abraham. They needed to hear the gospel and respond to belief too. That's the only way people get saved. In fact, let me take you there real quick. Let's go to Romans 10, 17. We're only going to look at this one verse, but I want you to see it so that you mark it and you remember it. It's so important because people get the gospel so wacky confused here. Romans 10, verse 17. Look what it says. I'll wait for, I love the rustling of pages. I'm appreciative of that. I like the clicks of phones too, but I understand you got them on silence because you're respectful and godly people, right? I was waiting for a ringtone to go off right then. Okay. Romans 10, look at verse 17. So faith, the conviction that something is true, okay? Faith comes from what? Hearing. You've got to come encounter with the gospel in order to be able to exercise faith. Because faith is not a work, it's a response to something that's been put before you. You either believe it or you don't. Now, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Christ, that's the only thing. The word of Christ is the effective means that gives us something in order to exercise faith in. Nothing else. Now I say that because oftentimes people want to put a lot of other things before people that should get them into heaven, but don't, and they're often works oriented. No, there's one thing. They need to hear, they need to come encountered with the word of Christ then they can believe. But that's the only way that faith happens. They need to be presented with the gospel. What does it say in Ephesians 2? When he came, he preached peace to those who were far off, Gentiles, and to those who were near. Why? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so when we bring the person of peace, Christ, into these lives, that's what we're calling people to believe. That's the only means that they can have full conviction. I wanted you to see that and mark it. Now go back, Ephesians 2, look at verse 18. For through him, that's Christ, we both 
have our access in one spirit to the Father. Not separate spirits, not there's a spirit for the Jew and a spirit for the Gentile. No, there's one spirit who is the leader of truth, who is the spirit of truth, who is the comforter, advocate of the church, who indwells the believers, and a Jew has, has a spirit just like a Gentile has a spirit. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I do want to bring this up on the screen. Acts 11, if you want to maybe jot it down or something in your notebook. And by the way, if you don't have a book for notes, we got a lot of them here to give you for this sermon series. But Acts 11, look at verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if God gave to them... Oh, I don't have this on, do I? Sorry. Sorry, Mitch. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us... Now, this is Peter talking. Also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Everybody remember that Peter was called to go to the Gentiles, go to Cornelius' house, and tell them about Christ. Well, they're Gentiles. Don't we sometimes do that? The Holy Spirit will prompt the heart. You need to go have a conversation with that person. You need to go talk with that person. You need to share the gospel with that person. Yeah, I got some pretty good reasons why you're wrong, Holy Spirit. That's going to show up good, right? But think about that. So Peter comes through. Some people questioned him. Why? Because the church was all Jewish up until this point. They were believers in Christ. They were part of this one new body. And the Jews are the ones who started out this church. And he says, so God gave them the same gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I noticed that they had the Spirit like we had the Spirit. Who was I to stand in God's way? Let me ask you a question. Who are you and I to stand in God's way? Nobody. God opens that door and the Spirit prompts you to go. Go! Well, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say. Aren't we guaranteed that the Spirit will give us the words to say? Aren't all the doors for evangelism opened by the Spirit? All we have to do is say, yes, Lord. I'm going to take it that you know what you're doing in this situation. Look what it says. When they heard this, when all the people that were questioning heard this, they quieted down, and they what? Glorified God. Now, I don't think that means, yay, like it had to be quiet, okay? But I think they recognized that any sort of arguments they were going to make about why Gentiles can't be saved, don't you know they're dogs? Don't you know they're trash? Wait a second. We need to glorify God. Because the Spirit has marked these people as being authentically converted by faith in Christ. Look what it says. Well then. Now that's weird. Well then. God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. He's given them the open door where they can hear the truth and have their minds changed so that they now have eternal life. That's faith. Isn't that amazing? And Peter met some pretty stiff opposition in this. But it's great when people will listen and say, wait a second, the Spirit of God's working here. Let's glorify God and be excited about what He's doing. Now this is in the church. It's a beautiful passage. Let's move on here. Verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Why? Because of the blood. Not because of me, not because of my plans, not because of my know-how, not because of my correct theology. It's by the blood. I'm no longer a stranger and alien because of the blood. Notice, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the holy ones. You know what that means as a fellow citizen? I got full rights. 
I've got full privileges. I'm just as much as belonging. We are just as much as belonging in the church now as the Jews were starting in Acts chapter 2. Just as they had full exercise of privileges available to them, so we have it also. There's not one that's better than other. There's just one new man in Christ. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. He says here, but your fellow citizens with saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now that's interesting. How come the foundation's not Jesus? I thought he was the foundation. Well, different picture here that he's trying to paint. But think about what it says. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Apostles, you primarily see that office in the what testament? Who's awake? The New Testament. Prophets, where do you primarily see them? What testament? Old Testament. What's Paul telling us here? He's telling us that this one man has actually been built on the entire scope of truth that we find in the New and the Old Testament. Now that's a pretty interesting thought because not a lot of the New Testament have been written at this point. But he understands that the offices commissioned by God in dispelling, sorry, not dispelling, dispelling error, yes we can say that, but revealing God's truth serve as the very foundation of how one new man could happen between a Jew and a Gentile. He says here, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Remember the cornerstone? It's actually the most important part of the building because it happens at an intersection of walls. It pieces them all together, and if it weren't there, everything would be rickety and falling apart. No, Jesus Christ stands as this cornerstone. Remember the problem that the Pharisees had? That he was the one that's the cornerstone, the one, the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone, and he will fall on you. He will pulverize you. He will crush you for rejecting. He's become the cornerstone in the situation. It says here, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together, the idea is to be a coherent whole. I like to think of a zipper. Zippers are fascinating spiritual analogies, right? Because it's two separate points and they kind of look good. But when you class that thing together and you bring it, and you bring it up slowly so you don't catch it, right? Anybody done that? Okay. Bring it up slowly. But when you do, what's it do? And it's seamless. Can't see any holes. Don't have any friction going on. Just came right together. That's exactly what's happening. That's what God is doing presently. God is presently bringing us all together so that we are an integrated whole. He wants wholeness and unity in his body. It says here, notice, and he is growing into, or sorry, we are growing, this is the destination out ahead, into a holy temple in, there's our location, in the Lord. It can only happen in Christ. Now real quick, look at the word temple. Everybody see that? There are two words that are used in the New Testament for the idea of temple. The first one is the idea of the temple complex, but also this building out here. And oh yeah, we got to get security involved and this thing over here and all that stuff. That's one word for it. This word is the second word. And it's the idea of naos, N-A-O-S, if you were going to transliterate it. And what this word actually means is the inner sanctuary. Now think about the temple real quick. What is the inner sanctuary of the temple called? Do we remember where the Ark of the Covenant is, Shekinah glory of God? The Holy of Holies. That's what Paul is expressing here. Think about what he's saying. In whom the whole building being fitted together, there's our unity, is growing into a holy of holies in the Lord. Now stop. 
If you're a believer in Christ, does the Spirit dwell in you? It does. Where did the Spirit dwell in the temple? The Holy of Holies. There's a glory of God right above the Ark of the Covenant. You could only go in one time. Guess what? We've got continual access now all the time because the Spirit lives in us. The blood of Christ has paved the way and ripped open the curtain and He is designing the church and building us up into a holy of holies. A place of God's constant presence. Does that sound like our church? Because this is what He's telling us God's doing. Think about this, guys. Because here's where the application grabs us. If this is what God wants to do, and if this is where God's building, I mean, God's got all means going towards us. He just told us we were His workmanship before, right? That doesn't mean He wants us to look pretty. God can use ugly people to share the gospel. He does it every day, right? But think about it. It's the idea that He's got a purposeful, intentional destination out ahead. Because what He's designed, in the local body of Christ for every church that this letter went around to to let them know as a whole yeah, internationally, yeah but he's writing to local bodies you're a masterpiece a work of God that he's building into the very sanctuary of which his presence loves to dwell do we have that here? should we have that here? Notice this, it's everything that God wants. So it's every, if it's everything that God wants, and if we sit here and say, you know what, when he asks me, is that here, I don't feel very confident in answering, or I have a little bit of trepidation in doing so. What keeps us from being everything that God wants us to be? Pride, us, sin, fear. How scared to death are we to share? the one who is peace with other people. How scared do we get that when somebody's going through a hard time, it's like, well, I could pick up the phone and call them and talk to them, or I could put my hands in the pocket and pretend that I didn't receive that text. We're talking about God doing God things in God's house. Building us up to a place where the Spirit radiates out of us. Look at verse 22. Not only is he growing us into a holy of holies in the Lord, verse 22, in whom, in Christ, you also, you also, us fellow citizens with the Jews in this brand new man, you also are being built together. There it is. Before in 21, it was being fitted together. Now it's being built together. And what's interesting is that word being built, it's the idea of taking all kinds of various materials and putting it all together. We are a a fun collage, you know? I think of those people that go to junkyards and make art. You're like, wow, that's so cool, and you just sold it for $150,000, and you only got two bucks for it at the recycling place, right? (laughs) Isn't that what Jesus is able to do with us? I mean, when he uses the word masterpiece, when he talks about buildings, when he talks about fitting us together, he's doing amazing work with a bunch of nothings. And isn't that what Jesus loves to do? Those who aren't wise, and we end up confounding the wise. Those who are weak, and He ends up confounding the strong. And why is that? Because the Spirit of God makes the difference in the church. That's why. And this is what we see. 
in whom you also are being built together, there's the unity, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Not just in Christ, in the Spirit. We can't afford to be afraid of the Spirit. It's everything that God wants to do in us. Here's some things I wrote down. I knew I wouldn't remember them. The church is the dwelling place of the Spirit, yes? Yes? And why is that? Because we all have the Holy Spirit. We come together, and we don't have many Holy Spirits when we're sitting here, right? No. We have the Spirit. We're all unified in that. He resides in every one of us. So it's very true of individual as it is together. Here's the application. Are we valuing daily what God has done in this one new man? The fact that if we want to know what biblical history has to tell about us, spiritually speaking, we were way far off. We had nothing to go on. We had nothing to cling to. We had nothing to guide us. Out in the dark with no flashlights and no hope. Let's be honest. We couldn't even see our hands in front of our faces. That's how bad it was. But now we've been brought near Because Christ is our peace. He's brought us into peace. And the blood is what's brought us there. Are we taking it for granted? Do we value it? Do we recognize that what we have is special? Do you realize that we shouldn't even be here? Do you realize that it was a blatant revelation of a promised Messiah that was rejected? No! We don't want Him. Therefore, Jesus dies and he opens up a brand new way and you and I can come to him freely by his grace. That's incredible. Do we take that for granted? Or do we recognize that at Grace Bible Church, we have something special? We don't just have something gold, we have something platinum. Are we standing in the Spirit's way of it being a place that is characterized by the Spirit? It's bubbling over with the Spirit. Does unconfessed sin make you a weak brick in this building? There's nothing wrong with being weak. In fact, weakness is how God's power is perfected in us. So we can't think how the world talks about that. What makes us weak in the body of Christ is when we hold on to sin and bitterness and, and, and not confessing it, not coming to Him as we've been called to. He's not surprised that we sin, but it creates a lot of problems when we don't deal with it as He's given us the opportunities and the means to do so. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone in the body of Christ that you hate right now? That you just can't shake your despising of them? That's a heart issue that is keeping the Spirit from exploding in our church. Are you more invested in sin than you are in the body of Christ? I've said this before and I'll say it again. Because I know it. Underneath the layers here, our church has a pornography problem. I will say it. And it started to come out in little pieces here and there. And Zach and I are starting to become aware of it 
as people are finally getting caught and having to come to terms with it. There is nothing but evil, death, destruction, twistedness of mind, darkness of heart involved in that whole area. It is a place where the world revels and it creates a black hole that can never be satisfied. Only Christ can satisfy that. I guarantee you if that's the sin that you're struggling with, listen to me. Because it's 40% of women according to statistics too. It's not just guys. But if that's what you're struggling with, you have no peace. And if you don't get anything else from today, understand that Jesus is the only peace that can complete that. He has already dealt with that sin. So instead of getting caught, lay down your arms in hostility against Him and come to Him because you recognize your sin is separating you from fellowship with a holy God. But we will never have this radiating, boiling over brilliance of the Spirit upon us as long as we say, I'll take a little bit of Jesus while I'm clinging to my best friend's sin. Cannot happen. God desired better. God is crafting better. God died for better. And He has graced us to the point of without excuse. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what You're doing. Thank You for what You're building. Thank You, Lord, that as the body of Christ, You have intentional design. You have well-laid plans. You have orchestrated a path of good works for Grace Bible Church to walk in. Thank You that the blood of Christ elevates us into a spirit of acceptance. A new location a grand standing in your sight. And when we look at the works of our hands, we say, I didn't get us here. I couldn't have made the way. Thank you, God, that Jesus is the difference. Maybe it's pornography or maybe it's some other sin. But those things that may be stifling our obedience, stifling our interest in what Jesus has done, dulling our senses to the things of the Spirit, blocking our vision of the Word of God. Lord, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and lay these things down. Jesus has made that red carpet available. We can come before the King. God, your desire is for us to be a place where the Spirit dwells, flourishes, bubbles over for the world to take notice, to see us coming and know there's something different. These people radiate God Himself. God, what a gracious and lofty position that we've been placed. We thank you for grace upon grace upon grace. You are good. You are holy. Thank you for loving loving me. Why? I don't know. That's just who you are. Father, move upon our hearts now. I pray it in Jesus' name.